1: Good morning, and welcome in, Rob Black in your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. This hour, we will get a little Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst Briefing.com. He's going to join us and talk a little bit about the markets and why is why are they so interesting at this point in time. What's driving the markets, a little peace with the U- Russia and Ukraine, so the sanctions kind of hurt the action in Europe as far as GDP goes, as far as Russia in particular, lots of things to think about. So don't be shy. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Hold on a second, got to go turn something off. It's just a bit too noisy for me. I'll be right back. I'm coming back. Coming back. There, I'm back. Okay, um, money invested in more. Today, in the second hour, I'm going to be doing my back to school series. So keep that in mind. I started that yesterday with two lessons. I'll add two more lessons today. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to build on all the financial basics that you need to know. Today is a big day for Apple. CEO Tim Cook. Um, doubters will, you know, Take a look at the stock and, you know, try to use it as a, well, that's a failure of a launch. Every launch that the iPhone has had has been bigger than the last. And the phone should be on sale in about 10 days. Um, So we're going to see what's called the iPhone 6L for large screen or the iPhone 6 Pro. We're not quite sure which one it is. The Apple Store is down right now as they're starting to update their web page and uh, getting the product all refreshed so that after the event or as the event unfolds, they could show you, you know, the price of the new products out there. Um, other big story of note today, Facebook value tops $200 billion, basically on its valuation. So it's one of the world's biggest corporations. Investors are betting the company is going to capitalize on mobile advertising. So that stock hit 77.89, and it means it is now worth 200 billion dollars. Will they ever earn 200 billion dollars? Um, they're a big company. It's the 22nd largest company in the world, behind Verizon and ahead of Toyota. Stock has jumped 9.3% since July. Uh, the gains are a far cry from Facebook's May 2012 IPO, when a lack of mobile revenue led to a, to a plunge in the stock. But since then, they've really rocked it up, so to speak. Um, So the rise in Facebook's share price means that Mark Zuckerberg's worth is now $34.5 billion. 30 years old. He's got a billion for every year that he's been on the planet. Not too shabby, huh? Um, Shares are up 81% in the last 12 months, all amidst figuring out mobile. Annie's... Stock is jumping on the acquisition by General Mills. Um, Seems to be a pretty smart acquisition, if you ask me, if you go into a grocery store and you see that Annie's has some, you know, market share. Uh, What they're doing differently is more organic. Uh, They focus on things like gluten-free. And shoppers today under the age of 35 are focusing on both those terms. Um, So that stock being acquired today, uh, all-time high was at 51. Uh, it wasn't publicly traded for very long, which is interesting to note, and only came public in mid 2012. So it had two two plus years out there, um, but not too much else. That stock up 12.50 today, and uh, again, it's all about supermarket shelf space. So General Mills obviously a big player in boxed foods at groceries, right? I don't think any of this is too shocking to you, and if it is. I'm a little bit surprised by that, but we'll kind of assume that it's not. We'll kind of assume that you're going to be okay. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about You can drop me an email, Rob, at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Another new leak has basically revealed almost every single detail about the iPhone 6 Um, do we really, really stress over this at this point in time? Probably not. Um, Ray Rice's wife, this was a fascinating story yesterday, huh? Is criticizing the NFL and media in an Instagram post. Janae Rice, wife of the suspended NFL running back Ray Rice, called her husband's punishment horrific in an Instagram post on Tuesday morning a day after he was cut from the Ravens and suspended for the NFL, basically just clocking her. A video came out of it, and the NFL is catching a lot of heat because, you know, they investigated the event and decided that, you know, we're going to punish him two games. And then the video comes out later of him just clocking her. And we don't know the story. We just see the video image, and the video image is horrific. Horrific. But now she's coming out because her husband's going to lose his ability to earn income. Um, And was it a night where they were drunk? Was it a night where, um, you know, they both got a little feisty with each other? We don't know. But yesterday just blew up. And, again, it shows you the power of social media. Um, It shows you the power of media. Um, Her statement is that she says, I'm Mourning the death of my closest friend, but to have to accept the fact that it's a reality is a nightmare. This is my life. Uh, what don't you all get if your intentions were to hurt us, embarrass us, make us feel alone, take all happiness away, you've succeeded on so many levels. Um, kind of fascinating. You know, will he ever play the NFL again? That video is pretty damning. <laughs> but again... Uh, there's no defending it, like I just wanna shut up because I don't wanna say something like everyone deserves a mistake, but that video is pretty damning, <laughs> like right? It goes to really, really show you um, you know be on your best behavior so eight hundred five one six, twelve twenty to get your calls on the air, it's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about? Uh, money, investing, and more. Again, Apple event coming out in two hours and forty-four minutes. That's where we're at. That's the story of the day. You know, do they come out with something to kick butt? We'll find out shortly. I'm Rob Black, and all things financial, money, investing, and more. Facebook's worth over $200 billion. Home Depot has confirmed a data breach in the United States and in Canada, which kind of sucks for me because I've shopped at Home Depot. It's going to cost them a lot of money to fix that. Part of the fix is they give people who accept, you know, something like a a one-year membership for LifeLock. Um, and they negotiate a a cheaper rate, but it's still, it ain't cheap. So uh, if you've shopped at Home Depot, you're probably going to get a letter pretty soon. Um, Again, how much has been hacked, how much hasn't. Um, They've confirmed that this payment system has been hacked, potentially exposing millions of shoppers who use credit and debit cards at more than 2,000 U.S. and Canadian stores. It will probably turn out to be the biggest in history. Home Depot did not say how many cards might have been affected, but the largest U.S. home improvement chain did say that its investigation of the breach goes as far back as April. The news comes nearly a week after a website that focuses on cybersecurity reporting a possible hack of Home Depot's data. Um, and their CEO is already going, you know, we apologize uh, for the frustration anxiety. Uh, we're working through this. Home Depot said malware was used in the hack, has announced its plans to have chip-enabled checkout terminals at all of its stores by the end of the year. Uh, Target really has not recovered. They've lost shoppers, and they've gone away. The Target hack cost the company, you know, profit and revenue. cost the CEO and CIO to step down. Um, Now, before this data breach back in August, uh, Home Depot announced that the CEO would step down November 1, um, so that's already been planned. Um, I don't know if we are, uh, leery enough that we go, maybe he already knew. <laughs> like, maybe the writing was already on the wall. Um, I don't know. Here's an interesting little side story out there. The widening gap between the wealthy and the rest of America can largely be explained in one word. Stocks. According to recent data, America has the lowest level of stock ownership in 18 years. Yet, stock ownership for the wealthy is a new all-time high, and that's accounted for most of their good fortune compared to the rest of America. Um, the story or the re- survey says that 48.8% of Americans held stock either directly or indirectly in 2012. That's the lowest level since 1995. Um 89 to 92 was a pretty rough uh, banking scandal uh, in the United States, so it took a while for people to get back in. And uh, you can see that the, the big recession probably scared some people out, and sadly at exactly the wrong time. Because if you've held stocks in the last five years, you've more than doubled your money. But that's, you know, kind of the damnation game that we all play, Right. Take a look at the market numbers today. Let's see where we fall on this one. Um, the SP 500 is down 9, the Dallas down 92, the Nasdaq's down 18. Apple event coming up later today. McDonald's, their August same store sales are lower than expected. Company reported a drop of 3.7% in comparable sales worldwide, U.S. down 2.8%. Um, that is a stock that will get hurt with a stronger dollar, and the dollar has recently become stronger against the Euro. Stocks has been struggling this year, down 4.7%, vastly underperforming the S&P 500. Balance is considered inexpensive based on intrinsic value, which looks at anticipated growth over the next decade. Um... Yum Brands down 4.3 percent this year. Wendy's off 8 percent. I did a story yesterday about Olive Garden running a unlimited pasta deal. They gave away, I think, a thousand passes for hundred dollars. You can get eat all the pasta you want for forty nine days. And to me, that just sounds gross. Like, who needs that much I many carbs? That, like, to make that value a deal? Bleh. No, thank you. But if you take a look at it, there's been, you know, TGIF has an endless appetizer. You get unlimited appetizers. So if you order buffalo wings or potato skins, you'll get potato skins for 24, well, however long the stores open. Let's say 11 a.m. to 1 a.m., you know, 14, 15 hours. Um, Another company that's, you know, um, doing, you know, very similar things, you know, unlimited. It's it's. Pretty popular at this point in time. So, unlimited steak and, well, not unlimited steak, but steak and unlimited shrimp is another deal that's going on right now. And it just sounds disgusting. Just between you and me. I got nothing against, you know, nice, fresh shrimp, but let's not fry them up in kind of a gross, buttery substance that's not really butter. Yeah. No, thank you. So anyway, that's how the restaurant industry is turning right now. They're offering unlimited stuff, um, trying to get people to in their stores. Um, hmm, what else is out there today? McDonald's got that. Barnes and Noble? They're lost arrows. Barnes Noble. Eh. I don't know. Are they? Can they survive? Everyone that I know that uses a Barnes and Noble basically goes in and reads books all day long doesn't buy the book. Barnes & Noble said its fiscal first quarter loss narrowed as cost reductions outpace sales declines. As it gears up towards its eventual split, they've struggled to adapt to shifting environments in book publishing and retail. Customers are relying more on e-commerce outlets for book purchases, while e-books have cut into the market for physical books. The company's retail segment posted a 5.3% decrease in revenue. Um, you know, they're still pulling in a... Come on, they're still a real company, right? $954 million in the most recent quarter. They wanted to carve out a niche, you know, for their e-readers with its own little Nook device. The device failed to catch on as Amazon continued to, you know, exert its dominance in the digital book market with Kindle products. And the Nook business posted a series of losses. In the most recent period, the Nook segment's revenue fell 54%. Uh, I'm telling you, it it ain't healthy. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial this Thursday. have a big brand new event coming up in San Jose at the San Jose Airport Hotel, September 11th, Thursday evening from 6.30 to 9. It's a great place to live, uh, the Bay Area, but it's very expensive. And, you know, we're supplemented with really good incomes you probably can't get in other parts of the country. But do you buy stocks? Do you buy real estate? I just told you it's wealthier getting wealthier because they own stocks. Capital gains, taxes are a big issue here. Um, Stock option planning, you know, working for a dot-com company and getting a boatload of stock options can create a big problem if you don't know how to handle them. This will be an event for market conditions, dividends, and noteworthy stocks. You can learn more by signing up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. We'll take a break here. be right back. Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Personal finance. In the second hour today, I'm going to be going over uh, lessons on financial planning and personal finance. Hopefully, you can tune in to that, but joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with BR.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare?
4: Hey, Rob. I'm doing fine. Nice to be back with you.
1: It's always good talking with you. Obviously, we have a little bit to talk about today with um, Apple. Mm-hmm. On big days where like Apple comes out with an event and brings you two in, do you tend to pay attention to that, or are you just you're really more of a market guy and not stock centric?
4: Yeah, I'm I'm more of a market guy, but of course with with Apple, you have to pay uh, you have to pay attention because uh, it's one of the most widely owned stocks uh, in the institutional shareholder base. So. Uh, if they were to say something that was disappointing or what have you and, you know, you saw some subsequent selling on that by these large institutions, then that's bound to, uh, you know, have some market-moving impact. But um, So I, I kind of look at it from the edges, but this is a unique situation just given the, the weight Apple holds uh, within the S&P 500 and the weight it holds in the institutional shareholder base.
1: With that said, taking a look at your page one column, which is – a must-start, must-read. That must feel kind of good to hear a nerd like me say that I start my financial news with you. (laughs) I appreciate Um, that. But something jumps out. Scotland. And I'm like, had I started the year and said Scotland somehow, the independence Mm -hmm. referendum would be an important story that Patrick O'Hare would point out to me, I wouldn't have believed it. Uh, You hit some pretty interesting things there this morning.
4: Well, uh thank you and and i mean you're right i mean it, it is one of those things and, and that kind of just crept up out of out of nowhere i mean it was in this in the background and and the problem i think uh as it relates to this issue now was that there was the a consensus view you know that this would not be an issue and when that uh YouGov poll came out over the weekend suggesting that you know scotland may in fact now be leaning in favor of independence from the united kingdom everyone had to, you know, take a step back and say, whoa, that wasn't supposed to be the case. And so it's been thrust front and center. Um, The curious thing is, you know, everyone's, you know, paying attention to what it's done to weaken the the pound. But, you know, if you were to look at a chart of the pound, um, you know, its weakening began, you know, certainly prior to what this latest episode has revealed. Um, So this is a continuation of that. And and perhaps maybe, you know, retrospectively, what the weakening in that pound was suggesting was that there was, um, I think insider knowledge is the wrong terminology here, but maybe there was some smart money insight into the idea that maybe this was, in fact, going to be something that the market was going to have to contend with. So I don't think that it's a real big issue from the standpoint of if Scotland did, you know, vote in favor of independence that, you know, global markets are going to, you know, melt down on that particular issue. I think what's important for the markets is what's this doing to the U.S. dollar, right? Um, the U.S. dollar is strengthening against really, you know, all major currencies, uh, the yen, the euro, and now the pound. And that's going to raise some concerns about the earnings prospects for multinational corporations. And so I think that that's one of the the main overhangs or takeaways that we can uh, pull from this Scotland issue that has now uh, caught everyone off guard.
1: With that said, you brought up the stronger dollar, and there's a couple things happening. When the Fed Reserve starts to raise interest rates, and I think it looks like a 2015 event, you might agree, Uh, that should strengthen the dollar. Are we in for 18 months or so of a stronger dollar, and what would the ramifications likely be in that scenario?
4: Sure. Well, you know, what the stronger dollar could potentially do is actually buy the Fed some time, frankly, um, because it's going to have a uh, counter effect on commodity prices in that it will help lower dollar-denominated commodity prices. And we've seen, you know, crude futures come off um, noticeably in recent weeks. And that then flows through into inflation data uh, as uh, energy prices come down, and so uh, so stronger a stronger dollar would help uh, keep inflation pressures in check and so if you get sort of this continuation of this muddling through economy, even though the the Fed is likely to be done with its asset purchases you know by the end of october um, There's still not a. uh, We don't think that the the Fed, notwithstanding a few vocal uh, hawks, uh, is is going to be inclined to to raise rates, you know, sooner rather than later. And as far as the market sees it right now, you know, it's looking for the latter half of 2015 uh, for that first rate hike. But if you get a continued strengthening of the dollar and inflation rates that start to trend lower as on account of it. Um, You may see the Fed stay on hold for for even longer, but, um, you know, right now I don't think it's uh, uh, creating any concern, undue concern anyway in the market about the Fed raising rates uh, sooner than anticipated.
1: Now, I know we can't, of course, predict this, but if jobs continue to improve slowly like they have, and the jobs report wasn't great last Friday, but it wasn't horrific either – The economy could kind of work because people have jobs, people spend their their paychecks. That helps the economy. The economy helps Wall Street. How much longer can this bull market have in a best-case scenario in your mind?
4: Uh, It could have quite a bit of time, frankly, I think, if if, – because I think I mentioned last week, I think the way that the market is interpreting things right now, it sort of has this – this happy medium, if you will, uh, you get some soft data, and it suggests that the Fed's not going to raise interest rates. Okay, so you know you have rates staying at the zero bound. That's supportive for equity valuations. Then on the flip side, it tries to convince itself too that okay, if we do get higher rates because the economy is strengthening, well, that's good for <clears throat> for earnings prospects, and so you know we can live with that. You know we can live with this transitional period from ridiculously low rates to slightly higher rates and still be okay, uh, especially if the U.S. economy is, you know, working comparatively better to other economies in the developed markets. And so um, so it's an interesting dynamic going on right now, and it's one of those things that I think would help be supportive in the event you do get a you know a long awaited pullback in the equity market that's really just driven by price exhaustion more so than you know any other you know significant piece of news that we you know can't take account of right now because no one knows the future but um but you know if you get rates that are kind of like hanging steady um and you have inflation that remains in check uh, and you have companies that are continue to buy back their stock and earnings that continue to grow perhaps at a you know low double digit rate um then there are some fundamental forces in place there that would suggest the bull market could, could persist for a while.
1: Speaking with Patrick O'Hare, Chief of Market Analyst, Briefing.com, guy who really puts the markets into a focus in a sense that's digestible and easily understood. Is there anything that you're working on, Mr. O'Hare, that I didn't hit that you think we should be paying attention to?
4: Well, you know, we, we do have the FMC meeting next week, and, um, you know, that's one factor in my page one column today. I so said that the market's really just kind of in this period of assessment, right? You know, it's taking into account all, a lot of different factors right now. We talked about Scotland. You know, it's the dollar strength. It's the continuing geopolitical angst. Um, you know the Apple's special event today, and then and then you've got of course the FOMC waiting out there next week, uh, and some hawks. Uh, granted, they're in the minority, but they're making some some vocal uh, opinions uh, heard about the idea that the Fed might need to alter its language to suggest that you know you might see a a rate hike occur faster or sooner than anticipated, and, and I think that the Marks and care careful attention to that meeting next week in in the wake of the employment data we saw on Friday uh, to get some sense if the the language is going to be changed or if the Fed's going to continue to sort of just stay the course with its current directive. And and that will likely be deemed supportive here for the equity market. So that's something to keep a close eye on uh, as we move into September.
1: Thanks very much. That's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. They provide independent... Uh, live market analysis over the U.S. and international markets. Uh, They've got columnists that, you know, have had their jobs for 15 straight years. They're not, you know, consistently changing. They're not pulling kids out of journalism school. These are all economists and CFPs and CPAs. um, Pretty hardcore data. Pretty hardcore data with certifications that I give a big thumbs up to. Um, They break up. Calendars. They, you know, they cover the day's stories. As Apple announces product, they will slowly, you know, update their website to show you what's being brought out. They do momentum stocks, uh, industry insights. Uh, they talk about ETFs. Seriously, there's plenty enough there to be had. That I give it a big thumbs up, and that is an endorsement that is not paid for in any way, shape, or form. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's eight hundred five one six. 1220 to get you calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Amazon has just launched a drone store on their website, dedicating a section exclusively to the devices. Um, they have some tips to encourage buyers to fly responsibly. Prices on the remote-controlled machines run from 36 bucks to $1,300. So drones seem to be one of those stories that's not going away. Um, got a big event coming out Thursday evening, the 11th. That's this week. Great way for you to show support for the show. Come out, hang out, have some wine, have some cheese. Um, 6.30 to 9 at the San Jose Airport Hotel. Talking Bay Area wealth strategies. Really geared for just how crazy this place can be. Should you jump jobs, your 401Ks, your 403Bs, your stock options, getting married, being single. The ramifications on wealth are pretty huge. I know a woman who basically dumped a fiancé because he wasn't, you know, taking that next step and getting married. Got another fiancé and she's getting married uh, because of the financial ramifications. Her biological clock is ticking in, in the Bay Area. She's got a pretty good job. It'll be interesting to see what happens when, when that baby comes and uh, that paycheck disappears. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, more. You can sign up for that event at robblack.com. Welcome back again, Ron Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Let's take a look at the market numbers today. It's kind of feels end of summer. We feel kind of waiting for earnings season, which will start, you know, uh, in October. Uh, so we're in kind of a quiet period. Home Depot confirms a data breach today. Apple's going to come out with a product Uh, The S&P 500 is down 8, the Dow is down 76, the NASDAQ down 16. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton talking things besides portfolios, i.e. things besides wealth that you need to start thinking about for retirement. We have a retirement wealth preservation seminar coming up soon. You can find out more at robblack.com. What do things need to be thinking about other than their cash money?
5: Transitioning into retirement is a big life changing event, so you have to update a lot of things. Um, I, the first thing is make sure you update your estate plan, and especially in a state like California where probate is extremely expensive. Right. If you have property outside of if if you have real estate and more than thirty thousand dollars of assets, especially outside of you know an IRA, you need a trust. Okay. You really do. It's going to save the, what you spend on a trust. You'll save your heirs triple that in probate fees. So you need a, a trust, but along with that comes two other very important documents. It's a power of attorney, so if something happens to you, your spouse can step in and handle your affairs or a loved one, and a health care directive. Okay, well, wait It's not too power of attorney. Who should get my power of attorney? Your wife, spouse. Spouse? Yeah. Okay. But keep in
1: mind, I, I want a new wife every five years, mm-hmm. especially in retirement. It's called the trade-up policy.
5: <laughs> Do I give it to... Let's see if you can still maintain that trade-up policy and... <laughs> When you're
1: 65. Dude, I plan to be like the guy who, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to get there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that part out. No, 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 no. Um, so, okay, so let's say you do get divorced and you have some
5: power of attorney. How do you, can you undo a power of attorney? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. as soon as you do a new one, part of it, the document is you're you're rescinding all the other power of attorneys. Okay, what's a durable power of attorney? A durable power of attorney, if it's not a durable power of attorney, a lot of financial institutions ignore it or say that it's not strong enough. So you can think of a durable power of attorney in layman's terms as a much stronger, longer-lasting document. But you still run into situations where certain financial institutions still want their own document signed. Right. So even though you have one, you still might want to check with your financial institution to make sure that the one that you have is actually good enough and – And uh, their legal department will also honor it.
1: So Anna Nicole Smith, she married like a 90-year-old oil baron who was going to leave his money to his children. She started feeding him bacon sandwiches, which I'll be honest with you, it's pretty tasty. I don't know if you've ever had a bacon sandwich. Put a little strip of bacon on top, even better. Yeah. Um, so that whole estate plan got challenged in court for years. You know, was he of sound mind? Did she use him? you don't see that very often. These documents are pretty hardcore.
5: Bullet, I see a I story like that at least once a year. Okay. Even just of, of people that I talk to or you know, new clients that I meet, the stories that they tell. Um, and that's one of the topics. Is one of the things that you have to do to get ready for retirement is get healthy. You know, <laughs> people that aren't healthy a lot of times are taken advantage of. You know, if somebody can see that you're wealthy but not very healthy, right? they'll be knocking at your door. Interesting. And so get healthy because not only that, but you will spend less on healthcare care costs. So one of the things that you should focus on as part of your life-changing event, which is going into retirement, is getting healthy. Because in order to enjoy retirement, you need to be healthy. In order to do the things that you never wanted to do or you never had the time to do, you need to be healthy. Like fly fishing. <laughs> traveling, whatever. Hiking. Um, having hobbies and charitable intent is also you know, things that you volunteer for. The happiest people I see are the ones that have a lot of hobbies, whether it be golf or quilting for that matter, <laughs> some of those weird things. Quilting's not a hobby. It, 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 you'll be surprised, Rob. Um, you think I'll have to make a s- quilt? Go to Sisters Oregon during the Quilt Fest. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, charitable intent. It's also, volunteering. You, you and I got go to go stroll for a- chicks at a quilt fest. That's right. That would be a sight. Fancy motorhomes and odd eyeglasses. Motorhomes, there's a retirement expense. Yeah, very expensive. Very expensive. Rent, don't buy, unless you're going to use it 365. Yeah. Yeah. Retirement is the biggest life-changing year. It's bigger than a divorce. It's bigger than becoming an empty nester. You go from funding a nest egg and having a paycheck and having something to do and a requirement every day to something completely different. And a lot of times it requires counseling to make that transition and and a lot of long-term preparation. Yeah. I've – I've got a client right now, Rob, that went from running a large construction company. Right. Uh, you know, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. Uh, everybody was always knocking on his door every every day. Um, you know, fourteen hours a day until he was sixty-two years old, and he's gone through this phase of depression because he can't spend the money that he created. Right. Um, more than well prepared for retirement, and he just doesn't know what to do every day when he wakes up. He doesn't. He didn't create those hobbies over his lifetime because he worked so hard, and so he's going through a, a very depressive state right that now. That sounds like me in twenty years. It <laughs> could be. I have yeah. no hobbies. Well, would I have you no know friends. Who would you talk to?
1: My only. My only hobbies are unhealthy. <laughs> and wind me up in jail if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
5: speaking of jail, what are, the other things you got to help and prepare for is speaking to jail <laughs> is, me like is this helping is a nice kids, helping your kids out. A lot of people have to be ready to help kids and grandkids because the job market's tougher for younger people now yeah. than it was ten years ago. Uh, and be ready to be busier than ever. A lot of people once they retire they say, "I don't know how I had time to work. I'm so busy now." So just be ready to save to enjoy what you saved and don't don't become a miser.
1: One of my uncles actually goes to prisons and talks to prisoners uh, in retirement. Kind of interesting. With that said, that's CFP Chad Burton. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, big event coming up at the middle of this week, Thursday evening, September 11th at the San Jose Airport Hotel. It's a seminar tied towards wealth, wealth strategy. CFP Chad Burton will be there. You can hear his show on every day at noon, every day at noon on this very same station. Bay Area Wealth Strategies, Thursday nights, 6.30 to 9, buying real estate, real estate versus stocks, hints, tips, tricks, stocks, ideas, questions answered, um, come grab a glass of wine, stay with some cheese, nosh a little bit, chit-chat it up, sign up at robblack.com.
6: chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
1: Welcome everybody, everybody. I'm Rob Black, been in the industry of financials for almost 20 years, along the way I've done events tied towards wealth preservation, wealth creation. I've done events tied towards retirement. I do all sorts of, of ideas out there. I try to bring content to you that's suitable for you. I'm doing a series of shows tied towards the basics, getting you kind of excited to understand the essentials of, of things financial. You know, like, why do you need whole life insurance If you're 92 years old and die, who needs that money, right? Especially if you go with a cheaper insurance for the years of your life where you need to replace your income in case of a worst case scenario. You'll have saved more. You'll die at 92 with a ton of money, like my grandmother did. Talk about insurance in ways that make sense to you. Insure what you can't afford to lose. A friend of mine, his son, nowhere had something go wrong in his, his brain and has been in a coma for a long period of time. And it's very, very expensive. You insure your health because you can't afford to lose it. You insure health because health care is expensive. So you got to start thinking really simple ideas like this. I've talked about setting priorities, you know. Uh, come up with five of them. You want to live in retirement from age 60 to 100 because you've heard Social Security is not that much money. So you need a big nest egg. That's your number one priority, in my opinion. You work from 20 to 60. You basically live off that savings from age 60 to 100 because Social Security's not much. And then you have other priorities. You want to own a home. You want to have a vacation home. Now, a vacation home's not as important as owning a home, right? So you, you prioritize. And then you may want kids. Kids are a 250 to 300 thousand dollar decision from age 0 to 17. Um, and that's a lot. Go ask a parent, would you have more money if you didn't have a kid? And probably the answer is yes. Uh, So we talked about that and setting a budget so that you could fund those priorities. Today I want to talk a little bit more about investing basics, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, This is a lesson. Over the longer term, stocks are your best idea. Owning a stock is like owning a company. You become, you own shares of it. You're entitled to share in the earnings. You're entitled to share in the, you know, if they have a dividend, they'll pay you to own it. You know, you get some of the income from the company. Stocks have historically provided the highest returns of any asset class close to 10% a year over the long run. Next best performing asset class is bonds. Then comes long-term treasuries, which has averaged more than 5%. Then comes real estate. A lot of people think real estate is the best investment they've ever made, it's not. It's the best liability that you've taken on it's probably worked out for you over time, but if you invested the same amount of down payment into your home that you put into a a stock market mutual fund, S&P 500 fund, and you gave it the same amount of funding where you pay, you know, maintenance, you pay for your mortgage, every month you put that in the stock market, you end up with over four times as much from an S&P 500 fund than real estate over a 30-year period. Now, again, there's always going to be exceptions to that, but know that, you know, stocks are the way to go. Over the short term, stocks are the most volatile. It's crazy. There was one day back in 1914 where the stock market dropped 24% in one day. On October 19th, 1987, the stock market lost 22% in one day it probably scared the bejesus out of people. Like, like, ah, I'm never going to invest again. Because putting money into something that you think is stable and then seeing it volatile, it, it upsets you. If you had invested in a NASDAQ index fund around the time of the market's peak in March 2000, you know, you're, you're still not whole. You would have lost three-fourths of your money over the next three years. And then... In the last five years, the stock market's up 200%. Like, over the short term, it's really volatile. Over the long term, it really works out. Risky investments generally pay more than safe ones, except for when they fail. So I would rather you own shares of Nike than Under Armour. Longer term, if you want to own Under Armour, I think it's a brand that's really growing nicely. I think I saw, you know, some of the statistics that Nike has 99% of the basketball market and Under Armour's got 1%. Um, That may not be quite right, but you get the idea there. Um, I like both. But who was the riskier one? Under Armour, for sure. So you have to find names of companies that you like. Names of companies that have been around since you were a little kid. Like, you've known about Visa. You've known about American Express. You can own those companies. Now, it is the 21st century, and Silicon Valley wants to steal their business. Not steal their business. Take their market share. So we're coming up with apps to, you know, do new forms of payment, and that may or may not work in their favors. The biggest single determiner of stock prices over time is earnings. So know that you have to get kind of a picture of what risk is, what reward is. But you also have to understand that like, Apple makes billions of dollars and that's what makes it intriguing. Microsoft made billions of dollars. Now, is Microsoft losing because there is a shift? Absolutely. So you have to know the risk. But how long can they make billions from desktops and notebooks and from office? How fast can they shift into the cloud? Where, you know, the business trend is going? It's a a, a kind of a question. So you can't fall in love with a stock and say it's the greatest thing ever. You have to fall in love with a stock and say, but I will break up with you if the trend changes or the story changes. Um, You know, General Mills bought a company called Annie's, which makes organic uh, bunny-shaped pasta, and they make some other snacks as well because General Mills is like, okay, we're in the grocery store, but we're not well-known for being the organic guys. They are, and the trend is moving more towards the organic guys. And there's so many ways to play trends. You could make your own mutual fund, for instance, if you wanted to, and invest in things like Sprouts and Whole Foods, or previously Annie's and things like that. You could play trends. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's a trend that America's getting older, and as we get older, what do we do? We take more health care. So that could be, you could invest in CVS or Walgreens. CVS is doing a lot of clinics inside their stores now. Will that work? Will that not work? Because I really don't want to go see the doctor. But I do get my flu shot. Like, I, like there's things like, you kind of get the idea, right? Or you can invest in Merck or Pfizer or Genentech. Uh, back in the day, you could invest in Genentech, and then they got acquired. You can go after Gilead Sciences. You can go after a Biotech Mutual Fund where, you know, the cure for Ebola is being developed in some biotech company, and when they get it, will it be a billion-dollar drug? Maybe. The cure for cancer is being developed, or the treatments for cancers are being developed, and will that be a billion-dollar franchise? Yeah. So there's many, many, many ways of investing, and you become an owner of that trend, or you become an owner of that stock and their earnings. I do events, you know, kind of like what I'm talking about right now, you can learn more about me at robblack.com it's robblack.com I typically charge five dollars to give all of that to charity but it's um... you can find out more about my events at robblack.com today I'm talking about stocks bonds mutual funds take a break here I'll be right back <laughs> I'm Rob Black. Doing a little back to school today. Today's topic, students, or is my, I had a, I took a class called Party Physics from a NASA scientist once. And basically we figured out how to solve physics problems via very complicated, you know, party physics problems um, by using you know, the laws of physics. And I always found it interesting, like, you know, th- that was intriguing to me. A teacher who kind of got down to my level and spoke my language, uh, he referred to us as citizens instead of students. So he goes, good day, citizens. Um, and it was wild. For instance, this guy, he once played harmonica on a um, track of a recorded album. Baby We Were Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen, and he played harmonica on a track. And, you know, you look at the album notes, and there he is. Um, and uh, he would play the album in class, and he, he would play the harmonica part. He was he was a little bit of a loose thinker. But what I liked about it was it was a, it, he was a teacher. And the thing that I liked the most about the radio show I do is I try to teach a little bit about personal finance. Today we're talking about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um I change up the topics. I've come up with basically 20 ideas that you need to know um, to be financially savvy, to get to the point where you could, you know, save 15% of your paycheck. And, you know, if you want to own stocks, that's great. If you want to own mutual funds, that's great. You want to be good at what you do. And what you don't want to do is, like, buy companies that you don't understand. What you don't want to do is buy a name of a company that you're not going to take the time to read their financial statements. Uh, it's a lot of homework. It's a lot of effort to be successful. You know, th- the biggest thing that moves a stock or a mutual fund, in my opinion, is earnings, corporate earnings. How often do you hear like, Apple lost a lot of money this quarter. They sold a record number of phones, but they made no money. You know, McDonald's, they're they're giving away their their food and they've they've earned nothing. You don't hear it. Businesses are in in business, they're corporations, corporations are technically human beings according to the IRS, and like you go to work and you earn money, right? These guys go to work and they earn money, they're stocks. Over the short term, stock prices fluctuate, but over the long term, they work really well based on earnings. So if you're going to buy a company like a Facebook that doesn't have earnings for the first couple of years, you're taking a lot more risk until they do have earnings. And now that they're earning a billion-plus dollars a quarter, and then, like, you'll hear statistics like McDonald's earns, you know, $140 million every 13 minutes. You'll you'll hear things like that, and that's a good thing. Um, Again, I'm not pushing McDonald's in any way, shape, or form. I'm just trying to be relatable. Rising interest rates are bad for bonds. My personal opinion, because I'm doing this series kind of for 20-somethings and 30-somethings, maybe a little 40-somethings is that you don't need a lot of bonds. Bonds give you income. Bonds are IOUs. When you own a share of a company, you become an owner of the company. When you own bonds, you basically become a lender to that company. And, you know, we're in a very low low interest rate environment right now, so borrowing is really, it doesn't pay a lot. Um, Apple could say, you know what, Rob, do you want to loan us money? Or we're going to go to a bank and borrow money. And if I want 5%, percent they're going to say, screw you, we're a pretty good company. We're going to go borrow it for 2%, 3%. So low interest rates are bad for you and me, the guys who want to lend money at a high interest rate. Um, so know that higher interest rates would hurt bonds, because people would be selling the ones that they got now. They'll, they'll dump them to get rid of them, so they can lock in at a higher one. Just something to think about. Inflation is the biggest threat to your investments. Inflation is the biggest threat to your retirement. Things cost more. Um, you know, my first apartment that I rented in San Francisco was like twelve hundred a month, and now that same apartment's going for over three thousand. Things cost more. So, if I want to go to Hawaii when I retire, the airline probably going to charge me more in twenty years than they are today. The hotel's probably going to charge me more in 20 years than they are today. The steaks and the food costs over there are going to cost more than they do today. Um, so inflation's the biggest, you know, I could save a lot of money for retirement. I could save a million dollars. It still may not be enough because of inflation. And we don't know what's going hit, to get hit with the worst amount of inflation. Like, college costs have been rocketing. So if you have a kid... The cost to send your kid to college has been going up 6 7% a year consistently. So you have to save more if you want to send him to college, or you have to borrow more to send him to college, or he's going to have to borrow more to go through college. So know that inflation is the biggest boogeyman. Historically, inflation is about 3.2%. So it strips the value of your investment. So you have to aim for better than 3.2%. And that's why you aim for stocks which have an average of 10%. A diversified portfolio is less risky than a portfolio that's concentrated in any one sector. Like in in 1998, you were a rock star if you owned the NASDAQ. In 2000, you were a loser if you owned the NASDAQ. And the NASDAQ was tech heavy. Because the listing requirements to get on the Dow Jones Industrial Average was different than the listing requirements to get on the NASDAQ. A lot of companies on the NASDAQ didn't have earnings. They weren't earning money. Companies like Webvan, we've got this great idea. We're going to bring you groceries and put them in your house for you. Pets.com, you can order dog treats and we'll bring it to you. And they had explosive revenue, but they never had earnings, and that's why they failed. They needed people to buy more of their stocks, and people said, you know what? You don't have earnings. We're not going to buy it. So being concentrated can get you a home run, but it can also get you a strikeout pretty fast. Index mutual funds often outperform actively managed mutual funds. I think the number one mistake investors make are going with, with actively managed mutual funds. An index fund will, like, there's 500 top companies in America, and they're called, they're in the Standard & Poor's 500 Index. Or there's a biotech index, which has 100 biotech companies in it. Or there's a, you know, multinationals that pay a lot of dividends index fund. I would rather you go with the index fund and kind of eliminate the person that you're paying for the relationship to manage your mutual fund, because you're paying them. And I'd rather you invest in capitalism, cold, hard capitalism, than invest in, you know, uh, a guy. Like, for instance, the other day, I met a guy named Garrett. And I went out of my way to remember his name, Garrett, 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 Garrett. I was like, who, what other Garretts do I know? And there's Garrett Van Wagner, back in the 1990s, who was this great genius mutual fund manager. He picked tech stocks. And now today, I can't find him anymore, because he used to pick tech stocks. He was really good at it. But when tech stocks went against him, he went away. Um, so know that you don't really need that guy who's super smart. You need capitalism. You need to invest in corporations who are playing under, we're in this for making money. Um, I don't know. I hope that helps. Index mutual funds, index ETFs, exchange traded funds. I prefer over actively managed funds, but there are some actively managed funds that I would be interested in. For instance, I don't know how to invest in China Matthew's Funds invest in China, but you pay a lot of money to invest in China if you're going to use a mutual fund. Maybe you want to use an index fund. That's the kind of scenario that I'll paint for you. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. If you have questions, you can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com, rob at robblackshow.com. Today, I'm doing something kind of interesting. I've begun a series of 10 shows and linked together. It's everything you need to know on money issues that maybe you didn't learn in school. So I'm calling it Back to School. I've got a cool intercom sound. days, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be discussing pros and cons of different investments. Um, the 1990s had a big bull market, and it got people pretty excited about investing. Early 2000, it had a pretty rough fallback. 2008, pretty rough fallback. Recovery since that period, pretty awesome. So there's going to be different periods. But over time, if you take a look at what the stock market has done, and capitalism in particular, if you take a look at a 100-year chart the stock market in the United States, what you're going to see is it goes up and it kind of looks like a 45 degree angle. Not quite, but it, when you look at a big chart you're like, whoa, it started way, 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 way down in the lower left hand corner and it's way, way up in the upper right hand corner. And you look at the years and there's like World War I's in there, World War II's in there, Kennedy getting assassinated, Reagan getting attempted assassination. Gulf wars, um, financial crises, um, stagnation, inflation, like just crazy stuff has hit the world events and it hasn't brought us down because of capitalism. Now, I'm optimistic that capitalism is going to stay around. It's my only choice. I can't sit there and go, you know what, I I think we're all doomed. I, I think this is going to go badly. Because since 1926, stocks have returned nearly 10% a year. And that included, you know, even the recent most horrific bear market. If you're looking to invest money you need in a year, you don't want the stock market. If you're looking to, like, for instance, my brother Michael got out of the stock market in the 1990s because the savings loan crisis in the early 90s. He, want, he needed his money that he had saved for retirement. Now he's going to work until the day he dies. He's got nothing saved for retirement. So if you look at some severe examples, you will probably freak yourself out and say, I can't do this. But again, I have no choice. I believe in capitalism, and if I don't invest in stocks, what am I going to invest in? If capitalism doesn't work, then real estate's not going to work. We need people to buy houses. If real estate doesn't work, like, then like, bonds, because we lend money to companies, to people with mortgages, like, we, they're all interconnected, from 2000 to 2002, bonds outperformed stocks, and people would be like, Woo! Woo! bonds, bonds, bonds. But the truth is, you kind of want to own a little bit of all of them. And when I say all of them, you could buy stocks that are small, mid, or large. Think of a tic-tac-toe board, and put small cap, mid cap, large cap on the going up in each one of the boxes. And then you think value, blended, and growth. Blended is both growth and growth and income, or growth in value. Value stocks tend to pay a dividend. Value stocks and income stocks are kind of the same concept. Growth stocks, they're not, they're they're growing too fast, and they're saying, you know what, we need this cash. Facebook isn't saying, we're going to have a big dividend and share all of our billions with you. They will, because they will at some point in time get too big, that the only way they can, you know, share their cash, share their profits, is, is share the cash. So over periods of five years or more, stock prices closely track corporate profit growth. So if you're not going to be invested for at least five years, don't invest, in my opinion, in stocks. Since World War II, an estimated 90% of the stock market's gains have come from profit growth. As profits add up over time, you know, like I said, you'll look at that chart and you'll see, wow, this thing works over time. You'll get it if you look at a 100-year chart of the stock market. Interest rates. Um, they could be kind of interesting when rates go up, when the Federal Reserve says, you know what, we're going to raise interest rates. Stocks may not become in, in in fuego. They may not be in fashion. And I'll give you the example of the 10-year treasury. If stocks are getting 10% a year and bonds are yielding zero to 1%, which one are you going to invest in? Because inflation is going to be 2 to 3%, right? So you're going to say, of course, I got to go for stocks. I got to beat inflation. You have to beat inflation. That's the name of the game. So if the 10-year treasury is under 3.5%, I think you go with stocks. Once you start getting three and a percent 4 5% on your income, on your bonds, I think you go with bonds. That's not set in stone. It is not great advice. But my bond portfolio is, is, is scarce. I have none right now. Um, I do have some income tied towards what are called real estate investment trusts, REITs which I very much so do like uh, because I'm, you know, sometimes I'm getting 3%, 4 5 6% on the fact that I can own an office building that, like, for instance, with real estate investment trusts, they're like stocks, never own a private rate, never ever own a private rate. Own a publicly traded rate, which means it's on the stock market, which means it has to have disclosures, which means um, companies like the, groups like the SEC looks at their financials and make sure that they're not ripping you off. Private, you would be ripped off pretty quickly. But interest rates play a big sway on stocks because, again, if I can get 6% lending you money, I'll take it. Whether I'm lending it to a company or, or uh, an individual, I'll take it. If anyone wants to borrow money from me, as long as you've got a good income, I'll lend you money at 6%. Um, no good income? No good job history? I'll lend it to you at 10%. But you can't get that in the stock market right now. You can't get that in the bond market. So sometimes you can get close with like a good uh, real estate investment trust. And again, that's the best way to own real estate, especially when you're younger, because you own it. When you buy 100 shares of a REIT, a real estate investment trust, you own 100 shares of it. And that REIT could own real estate in malls, in office properties, in rental properties. It could, and it's awesome, so you can get the exposure to the real estate market, like San Francisco office space. You get the exposure, and when prices go up, your stock goes up. But you don't have to have a mortgage payment. You don't have to have a tenant. They do that for you, and then they share 90% of the, the income with you. They don't pay corporate taxes. so They give you a big chunk of their income. So REITs are a wonderful way to own real estate and to have income in your portfolio. So as I get older, I will look for more stability in my portfolio with more value and more income tides towards bonds because in a bankruptcy, shareholders get almost nothing, stockholders get almost nothing, but bondholders get some money back and bondholders tend to do okay over time. Like I said, right now, low interest rate environment is not a very good time to be a bondholder. But you do want to own bonds as you get older, as you, because you can't, when you're 60 years old, go through a 77% correction on a worst day ever on the market. You don't have time to recover from that. That's going to take five to ten years, because, you know, again, if you're, you see the five years and the importance of it? So as you get older, you put a little bit more money in cash and on the sides. Now, mutual funds are a bunch of stocks, and like I said, I tend to like the passive ones, the ones that just are a group of 100 stocks, that it, any monkey could figure out what 100 goes in it. It's maybe the size of the company. So like I said, with mutual funds, and even with individual stocks, if you're going to create your own stock portfolio, like 20 stocks, you kind of have a mutual fund. And that's why I said do the tic-tac-toe grid, where you've got some growth, you've got some blended, you've got some value, you've got some small, you've got some mid, some large. So. There's things called ETFs, exchange-traded funds, and you can go get an ETF that copies a small-cap index with growth and a small-cap index with value. You can get one that does a mid-cap growth, mid-cap value, large-cap growth, large-cap value. So those are six choices, and that's all you really need. Eh, let's throw in some international, because we're not U.S.-centric as an economy or as a world anymore. So you need seven things. And then, like, if you want, like, some growth over international, you can go add another fund that's, you know, more emerging markets. Um, But index funds, growth funds, value funds, sector funds, I think I've hit those all pretty good. You don't want just one, because over time, different asset classes and equity groups perform well. Like... If interest rates do move higher from these levels, it may create a scenario where people say, you know what, higher interest rates means a stronger dollar. A stronger dollar means bad things for companies like McDonald's. Their chicken McNuggets in France are suddenly more expensive. And the French people may go, oh, <laughs> I do not want to eat an expensive nugget. So it could hurt sales. So that may, higher interest rates may be telling you that like job market in the United States is good, so our bankers start to raise interest rates because things are heating up charge more for the money that they're lending out be a little bit more discriminating in the money they're lending out, so that may create an opportunity for small caps to do well. You don't want to bet on one group and, like, be haha, I'm right. Um, I don't think you do. So keep in mind, the whole name of the game of owning stocks and bonds is to beat inflation. Because inflation devalues your currencies, Deflation, inflation uh, Hurt your purchasing power, and you can't, quote, unquote, be safe over the long term. You have to expose your money to capitalism and to crazy volatility that happens from time to time. But over time, if you look at that chart, like I said, it starts in the lower left and ends in the upper right, slow and steady through all sorts of market events, through all sorts of economies, through all sorts of headlines. We're wars. It works over time. That's what you have to know about investing. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Rob Black, doing a little Money 101, talking about ways to save, ways to get to retirement, going over what I would refer to as lessons that range from everything from insurance to real estate, to buying, to selling, to how to accumulate wealth. Um, what I've been hitting a lot on today, or in this hour, is stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. You want to bear in mind that the annual growth rate in stocks, 9.8%, will double your money in a little less than seven years. You factor in inflation, which has historically run about 3% annually, and it'll take you more than 10 years to double your actual buying power. Bonds historically grown at roughly 5.4% will double your money every 12 years. After inflation, it takes 26 years. So you're basically saving a lot of money for your nest egg. It should be your number one priority. Because Social Security is going to kick out maybe somewhere between a thousand to three thousand dollars a month, depending on how much you put in and when you take it out, sixty-two or seventy. So I don't think I'm going to work past sixty. I don't know if you care to have me on radio. Will you even have a radio at sixty? Like, it's interesting to think of this stuff. One thing you want to try to do when you're thinking about buying stocks and bonds and you know these money essentials is you want to stop right now greed and fear. That's the basics of investing. You want to stop the, you know, uh, the the greed. Because that's what gets people in trouble. That's when they go, I'm going to take more risk than I should. And that's when you start, you're not accumulating assets like a robot. That's how you want to do it, like a robot. Stocks aren't just pieces of paper. When you buy a share of a stock, you're taking share ownership in it company is collectively owned by all the shareholders. There's a lot of different kinds of stocks, like I said. Some by small, mid, large. Energy versus tech, so there's sectors. Growth versus value. Stock prices track earnings. That's you know, really important that you need to know. Uh, individual stock could be down 30% in one year, and stock market could be up 10%. So, you know, they're not linked hand in hand. Wall Street's got a great saying that everyone should, you know, write down. Past performance not indicative of future results. I told a broker advisor for taking action, and Insocks mentioned. And that that concept is you can't just buy a winner thinking it's always gonna win because there are shifting trends. Now, do I think Facebook has a great future? I do. There's a lot of people who look at that site on a daily basis. Hundred million Americans, like, whoa. It's a lot of eyeballs and you're getting ads delivered so just because it has great track record doesn't mean it'll always have a great track record you know there once was a company called AOL that you know had a similar phenomenal growth story and that fell apart as people shifted away from in this case dial-up service with content to I got my own dial-up service or my own cable modem and there's a lot of content out there I don't need them to be a curator of it you can't tell how expensive a stock or a mutual fund is just by looking at it. it there's no reflection. A dollar stock is not cheaper than a hundred dollar stock. If there's a hundred million shares issued at a dollar or one share issued at a hundred million dollars, they're the same exact size of the company. So a stock price doesn't mean anything. It only means something when you start putting metrics on top of it or inside of it like a price to earnings ratio, price to sales ratio. I think it's smarter to buy and hold great companies than it is to try to day trade. I don't know one day trader with a million dollars. I don't know one person who has been able to quit their job and successfully trade for a living. So the ownership structure of owning companies is something I like. Um, To be honest with you, I like more value in my stocks than I do growth. I'm willing to sacrifice growth, like if a company is growing their revenue, you know, it's doubling every three years. I'll go for a company that's doubling revenue every seven years if they're willing to give me some income, like a dividend, for holding on to it. There's a great resource out there called Value Line. And it's at your library. You can go find it. And it gives you a statistic called price to earnings, but it shows you on a five-year basis So like a company like Microsoft may have been as high of a P.E. of 40. So the price of the company versus its earnings, or it could have been as low as 15. The stock market was as low as 10, five years ago when the market was struggling. The value of the stock market, the price you pay for earnings was low, it was like 8. Historically, it's been somewhere between 15 and 18. So that's why the market doubled. It just got back to, you know, deserving or earning a higher valuation, it won't always happen like that, but when the, you know, when there was a crash back in the 2000s when, you know, a lot of air came out of the stock market, it was because we were trading, you know, companies at 24, 25 times earnings, and historically, you want somewhere between 15 and 24, an established company. Now, you have to pay more of a higher PE for companies like Facebook, but you get the growth, but you also get the volatility. When that, that slows down, it's going to hurt the stock. It's not going to be the same winner that you've known for such a long time. There's a couple other metrics inside stocks that you should look for. One's called price-to-sales ratio, and one's called price-to-book, uh, price-to-book value. If you can learn these terms, and I just gave you price-to-sales ratio, go Google it, and it'll probably take you to a website called Investopedia, and like you'll learn that sales historically, like maybe software companies, you're willing to pay for a higher price-to-sales ratio because their margins are higher. It takes time, and I tend not to recommend individual stocks for individual people. I prefer target funds or index funds, and that can create as much wealth as, you know, someone like I can. With that said, be patient. Take your time. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. Find me online, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.